There is no doubt we are in a disruptive moment right now. It is taking place all around the world right now. And imagine if we could put the words and thoughts and ideas of agorism and of SEK3 into people's hands at the touch of their, their fingertips right now. What an incredible opportunity that would be. You're listening to The Corbett Report. Welcome, friends. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you in a conversation that is being recorded on the 10th of March, 2021. And today we're talking to a new guest on the program, Victor Komen, who may or may not be familiar to you, but uh, if not, you should check out at least one of his websites, probably others, but the one that we're going to be talking about most today is CoPubCo.com. And we're going to find out more about that and about Mr. Komen. He is, of course, a writer of science fiction and fantasy, a three-time Prometheus Award winner for novels. So uh, he uh, is a prolific writer in that regard. But also, we're going to be talking to him about his relationship to Samuel Edward Konkin III, a.k.a. S.E.K. III, who I trust my audience knows by now is the uh, the progenitor of the Agorist philosophy and the author of the Agorist Primer and the New Libertarian Manifesto, etc. Um, we're going to be talking more about that in this conversation. But first, let's bring him on. Uh, Mr. Coleman, thank you for joining us today. Hey, happy to be here. All right, let's start. Uh, obviously, this is your first time on the program. Uh, people may be new to you and your work. Just, just talk a little bit about yourself, your background, uh, where you're coming from. Okay, well, I was born in uh, Northern California, around San Francisco area, and uh, I started writing science fiction at around age 17. Um, one of my first novels published was The Jehovah Contract, which was about an assassin hired to kill God. And the second novel I wrote was uh, called Death's Dimensions, which was about a space drive that can get you anywhere in the universe instantaneously to you, uh, but it drives you insane. So they pick an insane man to fly the first mission. Uh, I wrote uh, Solomon's Knife, which was based on an idea from Samuel Edward Conkin III. Um, and it was about a doctor who comes up with a solution to the abortion crisis. If you can separate the concept of terminating a pregnancy from aborting the fetus, you can have uh, the essence of prenatal adoption, where a fetus is removed from one woman who doesn't want it and implanted into one woman who does. And, of course, she gets caught doing it and uh, is arrested and goes to trial. That's interesting. I know Walter Block, Professor Walter Block, talks about that as evictionism. Has he ever given you credit for the idea? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we should we should ask him about that. Yeah, excellent. And uh, just to bring out my own inner geek, uh, I understand you were an extra on Star Trek, the motion picture? Motion picture, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I have some pictures on my uh, Facebook page uh, buried deep there now probably or or on the um star trek the motion picture fan group on facebook uh they had put out the call to science fiction club members at uh, los fest the los angeles science fantasy society uh that they needed some extras for the bridge scene the the big opening scene where uh kirk addresses everyone on the bridge uh, in the re recreation room i'm sorry the rec hall uh, so I went down there and it was a, a 
typical cattle call for extras. But Robert Weiss, the director, the great director of uh, Day the Earth Stood Still and The Sound of Music, uh, looked at all of us and uh, said, those four over there, can we make them rubber heads? And so that's how I got uh, picked for stardom. But then when they decided to do the shoot, uh, he was dissatisfied with the way they looked. So he surreptitiously had the uh, production assistant uh, position people so that the view was blocked. So when you watch the actual film, all you can see is like the top of my head. But uh, I'm I'm pretty sure I know where I was standing. So I I, I have a, a big arrow pointing to this dome that says Rubberhead, Victor Cohen <laughs> Rubberhead. So yes. Uh, Honest, man. it was me. <laughs> I got to tell Grace Lee Whitney how much I, I enjoyed her as Yeoman Rand uh, growing up, and uh, she gave me a peck on the cheek. Not the rubber head cheek. I already have the mask on. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, that that truly is a t- ticket to stardom. But here you're just on the lowly Corbett Report today. So let's get a little into the, today's conversation. Today uh, we're going to be concentrating uh, more on some of the nonfiction side of what you do at Copub, Pu- Copubco. Let's talk a little bit about Copubco and how it came came together. Well, when uh, Sam had uh, published New Libertarian Manifesto, he printed about a thousand copies of it, of the first edition, which I think was 1980 or 81. And uh, I decided that I would bring out a a slightly nicer version with a slick black cover and a gold stamped um, logo. And uh, he said, go ahead. And so I, I called it the Komen Publishing Company, and that was in 1983. Uh, and he said, why don't you shorten it? Call it Copubco. And so that's how Copubco was born. So he was always a, a, a fountain of neologisms and um, uh, good ideas. The idea for Solomon's Knife was we were sitting in a car one day driving around and he said, you know, all these Catholics that uh, are opposed to abortion, why don't they just go around to the abortion clinics, scoop up all the fetuses and grow them in bottles or, you know, in, in artificial wombs or something or plant them into women uh, who will give birth to them. And they have this legion of very grateful Catholics uh, growing up for the next generation. And I said, well, that sounds interesting. <laughs> So, uh, so Walter Block can credit you and you can credit SEK3. So exactly. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, Sam. I, 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 again, most of my audience will probably have at least heard about him, but probably don't know in great detail about him or his life. Let's talk about that, how you came to meet him and uh, what, uh, what transpired there. Okay, well, I was a science fiction fan from an early age. In fact, I was a space travel fan from the age of Sputnik uh, and on. And so I started reading science fiction at around 10 or 11, 12. Uh, and I discovered Robert Heinlein and, and sort of discovered this term that he called himself libertarian. And there was a um, magazine called The Alien Critic, uh, published by Richard E. Geis, that had an ad or an article for New Libertarian. I think it was an ad advertising an interview with Robert Heinlein. So I knew he was very difficult to interview. So I uh, ordered the copies of the magazine and started corresponding with Sam. And this was in like 1974. So by 1975, they decided to come out to uh, Los Angeles. I had already moved down there myself in 74. And he and Neil Shulman and a couple other people showed up. And uh, they had driven out together, and they were looking for a place to stay. Uh, Dana Rohrabacher uh, was driving them around town um, because he was a 
well-known libertarian troubadour, and uh, he was uh, finding a place for them. They eventually found a place in Long Beach called the Anarcho Village. I eventually moved out there. I was living across the street from UCLA, and I moved out there and uh, eventually moved in to an apartment there. And it was a great beehive of uh, anarchist New Libertarian activity. Uh, During the time there, we turned out 101 issues of New Libertarian Weekly every week like clockwork. So we had this uh, ritual where on Tuesdays we'd get the magazine, we'd collate them, fold them, stuff them into envelopes, crank out addresses on old spirit duplicator cards and stuff like that, address a graph, and uh, mail them out. And we did that for two years, and then uh, he moved on to a magazine format for New Libertarian, and that went on until 1990. I had moved out of the Anarcho Village in the in the 1982 or so, but uh, it was a great time between 76 and 82 that uh, we got a lot done. He wrote New Libertarian Manifesto at that time. He, he wrote Agoras Primer. Uh, he wrote uh, uh, Counter Economics, at least the first six to ten chapters, depending on whom you ask. And um, that was recently published uh, by CoPubCo as an ebook, And we're still trying to track down those other four chapters. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's a good point. I, again, I think my audience will at least have heard me mention the uh, New Libertarian Manifesto and the Agoras Primer by now, but may not know about counter-economics. What is that book or unfinished book. Well, that, was, that was his magnum opus. That was going to be his, uh, his Das Kapital. And it was originally envisioned that uh, half of the chapters, 10 chapters would be uh, Sam's um, uh, theory. And the other 10 chapters would be about the if, uh, finding counter-economics in, in the modern world, uh, like in entertainment, in, in um, engineering, in, in various uh, business aspects. Uh, so Sam wrote his um, the first six chapters he typed, uh, and then in 1986 we got the Mac Plus, and he started uh, doing it on computer, and that's where we lost track of the subsequent four chapters because they're somewhere on a computer disk or in in one of his laptops that I inherited uh, when he moved out of uh, uh, one of his apartments. And uh, actually, he gave them to my daughter when she was in school, but she had already gotten a different computer. And so I I have them still. The screens are unreadable. (laughs) They, they, They have to be replaced before I can see what's actually on the computers. So that's why I'm trying to get funding to uh, you know, pay for the repairs on computers and for uh, the equipment that I would need to uh, scan in all of his documents and stuff. Right. So let's let's set the table for this then. So what essentially what you're doing right now is saving the Agorist archives, as it were, Samuel Edward Conkin's notes, his files, his correspondence, etc. Tell us about the documents that you have and what you're going to do with them. Okay. Well, every once in a while he would move. And uh, like a snail uh, shedding its shell or a snake its skin, he would um, uh, leave stuff behind and I would gather them up. So uh, when we were in the Anarcho Village, uh, I had a garage because I had a car or a motorcycle. He didn't. Uh, So I kept stuff in there and uh, I had a whole like a pallet of uh, boxes of his stuff. And when he moved, I, I, I kept most of them. And... Uh, then when he moved out of uh, an apartment in 
what he called the anarcho villa um, or at least was cleaning it up. I, my memory is hazy now. Uh, I got a spindle of DVDs. I got the laptops. I got some more boxes of uh, papers and stuff. So it consists of um, letters to him, uh, letters from him that he kept uh, either a uh, uh, carbon of or he, uh, in later years, he printed out uh, copies of. And also somewhere on the discs is probably a lot more uh, correspondence. Um, handwritten notes. I have uh, the handwritten New Libertarian Manifesto. Uh, I've got uh, meeting notes. I've got calendars of his, so we know where he was. I have his college grades. And of course, he's passed away, so I can't, uh, I can't blackmail him uh, with them. But uh, all of these things are, are fragile. They're old. They're, they're unpublished. They, they've never been looked at. They're <laughs> I think they have a valuable record of the development of the agorist uh, concept and of uh, new libertarianism, the movement of the libertarian left, which he founded, um, uh, as well as his fanzines. He was very active in APAs, which are amateur press associations where you'd print up 50 copies of your zine and everyone else would bring their copies and they'd get collated and stapled and you have a magazine. Uh, so I've, I've got a lot of that. And uh, a lot of his uh, strategic bulletins from the New Libertarian Alliance and stuff like that going back to the early 70s. So I think a lot of that is already on archives.copubco.com. And copubco is K-O-P-U-B-C-O.com. And uh, you can take a look there at, at a small portion of what I have uh, planned. I have the uh, movement of the libertarian left, uh, some stuff there. I have um, the the uh, flyers that we put out, like a counter-economics flyer, a, a flyer on taxes theft, flyer on the inflation crack-up boom in 1987, applicable to today, just change the dates. So uh, a lot of good stuff out there. Well, I think our audience is probably trifurcated right now. There's one section of the audience that is sitting there with their heart racing going, this is amazing, this is exciting. There's another uh, section of the audience that is sitting there going, uh, it's nice, I guess, but who? You know, what does it matter? And there's another section of the audience who are saying, who's Samuel Edward Conkin III? So <laughs> let's get that section of the audience out of the way. For the people who are brand new to this, have no idea who SEK3 is or what uh, agorism is, just uh, what would be the first book that they should check out um, to, uh, of his. You should probably read New Libertarian Manifesto since that's chronologically the first that he wrote. And he was he was uh, developing the concept of counter-economics, which is mentioned in the manifesto, but he was also trying to map out a strategy. <laughs> yes, a strategic tragedy. A strategy. Uh, a, a strategy for uh, achieving freedom in our time. And the methodology he developed for that was counter-economics, which is basically... Uh, and a, a counter-economic act is any human action uh, that the state does not sanction uh, that also is libertarian in the sense that uh, robbing a bank, the state doesn't sanction that, but it's also uh, a violent act. Although, I don't know, he was, he was iffy on the bank question, but uh, certainly robbing people would be, uh, would be wrong it, it, because it, it's, it's a, an aggressive act. But things like uh, – and in the book Counter-Economics, he breaks it down into 
um, do, you know, drug ec- counter economics, smuggling de- counter economics, uh, feminist counter economics back when, back when midwives were illegal, back in those far old fashioned days, he was a strong proponent of counter economic midwives and so on. So, uh, new libertarian manifesto is probably a good one. Um, and Agoras Primer, as you might guess from the title is very fundamental and easy to read. And uh, that was, we brought that out, he brought that out as a uh, means to promote uh, the Agorist Institute, which he hoped would be the above ground. Our our symbol was an iceberg because the above ground would be the Agorist Institute and 90% of the uh, underwater hidden uh, would be the counter economy. So uh, he was born in Canada. He uh, went to the University of uh, Wisconsin. He went to NYU. He uh, had his master's in theoretical chemistry. He was working on his PhD when he decided that he would uh, blow it off, basically, in order to pursue uh, libertarianism and his goal for the movement. He uh, moved to Southern California, as I said, and and established himself there. So he lived... uh, a good counter-economic life. Uh, as a Canadian, uh, he came in here illegally, so he was, you know, an original illegal alien snowbird from the north, and um, uh, got deported once and came back. And he uh, just uh, lived and worked, uh, you know, uh, cash, uh, cash economy type living. And uh, every cent he had, he devoted to getting the word out, you know, publishing magazines, um, uh, going to conventions. He enjoyed going to science fiction conventions. In fact, the whole concept behind New Libertarian was half of the content would be libertarian, half of the content would be science fiction, uh, you know, talking about science fiction uh, and some original uh, fiction stories. Uh, So he figured he could get, you know, libertarians and he gets science fiction fans. But of course, what he got were libertarians who were science fiction fans, you know, that small group. Uh, there, there was some crossover, but, but not a lot. So it was never a, a big circulation magazine. Um, and then, uh, that sort of folded in 1990 with the, with our first full color cover, the, the Heinlein Memorial issue. Uh, and then he went online and he, you know, it was the beginning of the Internet and the World Wide Web. So he started creating uh, an online version of New Libertarian, New Isolationist and uh, other uh, things. He wanted a sort of a New Libertarian hub. And uh, that sort of chugged along a bit, but uh, it didn't really get going too much as far as I know. I've got the disks and if I can uh, rebuild the web pages and of course archives.org if you type in I think newlibertarian.com or I I don't remember what it was but you you can still find those pages uh, on archives.org. Uh, so uh, he you know we, he continued writing he continued uh, proselytizing uh, but he passed away in 2004 of uh, what was presumed to be a, a heart attack or heart failure, something like that. That he never had an autopsy. That was just the determination of the coroner. So, and how old was he when he passed away? He was 57. Well, um, 
that, that's probably good for the people who really have no idea what we're talking about. And and I would echo that. I think definitely read the New, New Libertarian Manifesto and the Agoras Primer. And I think once you get that, you at least get a, a footing of what this is about and uh, what, what his work was about. And then you can start dipping further into the archives, which hopefully will be being digitized by then. And that's where we address that second part of the audience who are saying, well, is this a big deal? Who cares? Uh, I want people to reflect on the incredible nature of the time that we're living through right now, where really, for the first time, we can take someone like an SEK3, who never had the mainstream press or was never never widely recognized, but who did extremely important work. And we have the physical documents that he left behind and the, the computer documents and other things, yeah, literally sitting there waiting to be spread to the world. And in this case, it's really just a question of digitizing them, scanning them, proofreading them, making them available to researchers. And I don't know what percentage of my crowd are hardcore researchers, but for people like myself, I cannot I cannot even articulate how incredibly important it is to have this kind of research um, and archive at one's fingertips, instantly accessible. Can you imagine if you are a if you're a Marxist, heaven forfend, imagine if you had all of Karl Marx's, everything that he ever scribbled on a piece of paper, digitized and scanned in. And there would be, I'm sure, many people who would be willing to do that uh, for, uh, you know, sacrifice their lives to do that for the great Karl Marx. Well, here we have an actual great economic thinker of, of recent times, and we have the archives sitting there literally in boxes behind you. So let's uh, let's now finally address that third part of the audience who already understands what an incredible opportunity this is and are motivated to help. Talk about what it is that you're going to do, what you need, and how people can help you with that. Okay, I've got. Uh, I last summer I on my own I digitized uh, one box of the seven boxes of papers that I have of his, and they're densely packed into the box. Twenty nine, nineteen uh, hundred uh, scans, nineteen hundred sheets, you know, sides of paper, uh, were scanned in. So I figure, you know, the remaining six boxes will probably be another 12,000 sides to scan in, um, letters to and from Murray Rothbard, uh, James J. Martin, uh, Robert Anton Wilson, Robert Shea, uh, all sorts of libertarian luminaries, uh, all sorts of uh, arguments going on uh, amongst them, and uh, it's it's fascinating to see. Uh, a lot of people, uh, like Bonnie Kaplan, would send him like uh, twelve pages handwritten letters talking about what's going on in Chicago, uh, libertarianism, uh, stuff like that. Uh, a lot of it typed, a lot of it handwritten, uh, a lot of it um, you know faded. Uh, um, Xerox of the seventh carbon type stuff. So, uh, the, the challenge is to scan it all in and then go through the process of categorizing it and, uh, you know, by, by person to and from, uh, and, and year and all that and coming up with a, a methodology to make it all searchable. Um, I, I feel like I should have the image, uh, backed with the text uh, the searchable text. I, I tried it, uh, converting new libertarian weekly, all 101 issues, 562 pages, I think, of, of, or sides of, uh, text and, um, the scanner that are the Epson scanner that I was using converted it to a PDF, but also 
changed the image. It took the image and said, well, how can I make this a uh, searchable PDF? Uh, and of course, it threw off some of the uh, uh, text uh, line breaks and so on. So I, I didn't care for that. <clears throat> and you can see it with your own eyes uh, on at archives.copubco.com. And I will be at some point replacing that. But the important thing instead of the stuff that's already been published is the stuff that uh, no one but Sam and his correspondents have, have ever seen. Uh, we also have his calendars, we have his handwritten notes, and I'm one of the few people that astonish Sam by being able to read his handwriting because he's like a, he's like a doctor. And I figure it'll take about a year to do all of this if I do it uh, full time. And that's why we have the, the archives. So because he believed in Austrian economics of Ludwig von Mises and Murray Rothbard and the concept of uh, opportunity cost by agreeing to do this, I'm, I have an opportunity cost of, of not being able to pursue a regular paying job. So I, I need to survive somehow while I'm doing this. And uh, that's what the the GoFundMe account is for. If you go to the GoFundMe uh, and just type in Agorist Archives, you'll probably find it. Yes, uh, I will, of course, put the link into the GoFundMe so people can go and read about it. And you've got detailed breakdowns of your estimates of how much time this takes and what you're going to be doing and, uh, you know, the progress that the, that will be happening, etc. And yeah, I, I think about that. In one year's time, if this gets fully funded, in one year's time, we could have the Agorist Archives online completely for free, totally searchable at, a, at your fingertips. An incredible resource. And again, just to put this into perspective for people who still may not understand the importance of this, I'm willing to bet that if you know the name of Mises or Rothbard or can even pronounce the name Mises, it is probably because of the Mises Institute and their incredible uh, uh, online archive of information that they've made so much information freely available online that in this era, that's what helped promote it and has made it become more widely known and more popular than it ever otherwise would have. The Agorist archives could do that for Konkin and for Agorism, what Mises did for uh, the uh, the Austrian economics. So I, I think that's extremely exciting. And I, I think the hardcore of the hardcore of my audience will probably already get it. I hope the people who are on the fence will at least take a look at this. And as I say, go to the GoFundMe, see what it is you're trying to do and how they can uh, chip in. And personally, I'm probably going to be embarrassed if uh, you don't get a significant kick <laughs> out of this uh, out of this appearance. I hope that people will contribute. I hope the corporate report crowd can help to make this come true because I think it will be a valuable resource that will then be available for everyone, for the world. I'm excited for that concept. So um, let's make this happen. Um, and I, I don't think we need to overtalk it. Again, people, uh, there will be tons of links to all of the things that we're talking about today so people can go through it and decide for themselves if they're interested in this. But just to satisfy my own curiosity before we wrap things up, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Yourself and uh, J. Neil Shulman and uh, SEK3 and Robert Heinlein. There is an incredibly rich vein, a tapestry of science fiction and libertarianism. What What is that connection? Why does that exist? Yeah, there's also Paul Anderson and, uh, and a few others. Uh, I think when you think about the future, you have to be an optimist, unless you, you you just enjoy writing dystopian fiction. And just being a student of history, which is the best grounding for writing science fiction about the future, 
you have to know how people behaved in the past to write convincingly about how they behave in the future. Uh, I think we just uh, look at the founding of the United States and see that uh, the concept of liberty, sorry, uh, was very important. And uh, if you think we have a future, you probably have to think that it's a future of freedom. I 100% resonate with that and understand completely where that is coming from. And I, I keep going back to the saying, I mean, the moon is a harsh mistress is a great, it's almost like a blueprint for an anarchist revolution. Like this is how it could be done. It's not, it's yes, it's crazy. It's on the moon It's in the future, you know, all this, but this is how it could actually happen. And we can explore ideas in the science fiction context that I think makes it um, at, at arm's length remove, but still you can explore it. And it's, it comes back to that fundamental idea of, the freedom, human freedom. And there are moments in history where that erupts in a whole new way and something can grow out of it. And in those disruptive moments, we have the opportunity to really change the course of humanity. There is no doubt we are in a disruptive moment right now. It is taking place all around the world right now. And imagine if we could put the words and thoughts and ideas of agorism and of SEK3 into people's hands at the touch of their, their fingertips right now. What an incredible opportunity that would be. So again, I hope people take this seriously. And uh, Victor Komen, I want to thank you personally for the work that you're doing in keeping this keeping this flame going when I'm sure, I mean, it looks like dark times um, from the perspective of human liberty right now look at it, uh, everything that's been going on in the last year has uh, almost been a, a sort of a anti-moon is a harsh mistress where uh, billionaires are, are using uh, science, you know, using computers, using uh, bots, using, uh, you know, the internet to take freedom away. And it's it's interesting that, uh, you know, we've, we've got to... Yeah, do a counter strike. Yeah, <laughs> you got to exactly get, right. Yeah, exactly. And it has to be led by philosophy. There has to be an a, an understanding of what's at stake and why we need to care about human freedom. And if we don't have that bottom baseline, then we are going to be led along by our nose into whatever the new normal is. So that's again why the uh, agorism in general, but specifically these writings are so important. I think we're going to leave it there for today, unless there's anything else you'd like to say in summary. Uh, just uh, check out CoPubCo, check out the archives, and uh, check out the GoFundMe page and see what I plan to do. I've already ordered – there were a couple of significant uh, 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 donations from from people – and and the person I'm looking for is the you know the guy who bought Bitcoin at three bucks each, uh, you know back in uh, 2012, uh, and uh, you know can can afford to subsidize this project. Uh, I've already bought the uh, hard drives and the NAS server for in order to keep these safe once I've scanned them in. I wouldn't want to lose them to a head crash or something, so I'm I'm getting a NAS drive uh, and. Uh, next, we'll start scanning. So to be clear, you are open to crypto donations as well. Then. I'm open to it, but I don't. I haven't set up a means to do it. I've, I've uh, had Bitcoin Cash uh, recommended to me as a as a possibility. So I will be checking that out this week. 
All right. Well, I have a feeling you might hear from some people who might want to donate some crypto (laughs) as well. So uh, uh, they can get in touch with you through your website. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, Pubco's got a contact page. All right. Excellent. Well, we're going to leave it there. Again, all of these things will be in the show notes for people. I hope uh, I'm going to call on the corporate board audience. Let's make this happen. I think this is an exciting opportunity. So thank you very much for your time and uh, for your efforts. All right. Well, thank you for talking to me.